Welcome back to Call Time with Katie Bierenbaum. Thank you for bearing with the absence while I was in the depths of tech and previews. But speaking of which, I should plug the fact that I assistant directed the wonderful play Chains at the Mint Theater. You can come see it eight shows a week now through July 17th at Theater Row. So if you're a fan of mine or of the shows, now's your chance to see something artistic I've actually been working on besides the show. It's also just a really interesting play given the Mint's artistic mission. So perhaps later in the summer I'll do an episode focusing on that or with one of the other artists associated in the days to come. But for now, I have a really exciting guest with me, a close friend I just met this year, if you can believe it, from graduate school, the wonderful, the beautiful. She's wearing a blue, how I describe it, silk camisole to record. And also, we were just discussing, this is my first in-person recording. Very COVID safe, but it'll make it spontaneous, more casual. So without further ado, Molly Fagan. Welcome, Molly. Can I just say I'm so excited? I'm so happy you're here. Can we just also say that Katie is wearing the most gorgeous Reformation dress. That's amazing. And we're both wearing blue. We're both wearing blue. We're both wearing blue. blue. It's also Molly's birthday week. So how how was the the start (laughs) of the birthday week? Not so great, honestly. But But you know what? No, but you know what? Honestly, this is the first thing for birthday week. This is this has started. (laughs) Would you mind introducing yourself to my listeners, giving a little background, your artistic background, what you're up to lately. Like only artistic background? Or no, like my regular background. Okay. Not your, well, we're okay. going to get into your life okay. story, but just a little background. Okay. Um, born and raised in Forest Hills, Queens. Always, always was obsessed with the theater. Plays and drama only. Not musical theater. We'll get into that later. <laughs> yeah, we can. Just so I always, always, always just knew from a young age, I want to be an actor. That's always what I wanted to do. Had the most supportive parents who were like, you do whatever you want to do in life. We will support you, we'll love you. So it was like a combination of acting and soccer. I was like... Which is a rare combination. Very rare combination. Like, probably because soccer to me was the best... Now you can see yourself. Ooh. No, I'm not going to sell We'll we'll put it in the middle. So soccer was just something I loved to do. My parents very much encouraged, pushed me. My dad was like the ultimate girl dad soccer coach, which I loved. So I got to really have a great, great relationship with my dad, I think, because of soccer. So those were the two avenues I I picked. And even up to like deciding what I'm going to do for college, it was a choice of do I want to do get go to a conservatory style and do mm-hmm. get my BFA or I got I could have I got a soccer scholarship. So like it was literally two different choices. And I chose the act- ch- choose acting over um because soccer. I just it's what I loved. It's on it was always like I loved the arts. It was what I really I loved soccer, but I always kind of was like okay, like if I kept going with soccer, what would I do? Right. Like, yeah, okay, maybe I could have made it into... I did do ODP. Mia Hamm. I, Mia Hamm, my hero in life. I did ODP, which is the Olympic Development Program when I was so a teenager. Crazy. So, like, I mean, I could have done it probably if I stuck with it. Do you miss soccer? Completely. Every, you should, all the time. You should I know, do, like, a pickup. When I was... I know I exist? should. I know. No, that's a thing. Like I did, I've done that before. Me and my dad, fun fact, did it together, and it was one of the best things we've ever done together. We did a summer league together. Oh. When I lived in LA, I coached soccer for kids, and I loved it. It's always something which I've loved. It's the same way with acting and the arts to me, where it's like it's something you can always pick up. Yeah. But yeah, so it's something I've loved. So that, yes. So then you went to conservatory. Went to conservatory. Got my BFA. And then I was and I was living in LA, so I lived in LA for five years. So when I graduated college, I was in LA. Did auditioning for a little, did the whole hosting, serving thing in LA, and I didn't like it. I yeah. just didn't. I hate admitting it, and uh, you know because you and I have had this conversation so many times because it is it is rare to find, especially a friend or people who are actors, who are so open about being, I don't know, like, if it's what I want to stick with. Yeah. Which is the hardest thing because that was my entire life. Yeah. My parents' dream as well as mine. Yeah. But I wasn't enjoying that I wasn't getting to do 
acting every single day. Yeah. And in college, I got to do it every day. Yeah. My entire day from 9 a.m. until, you know, sometimes 12 a.m., you get it, is acting. Yeah. So scene studies, you know, every type of thing. So to get out of college and be like, oh, all I'm doing is auditioning. Right. If I'm lucky, I'm acting if I'm for lucky, five minutes. Yes. And I trust me, I know there are probably people who are listening and probably being like, oh, well, you have to like love the audition and you yeah. have to be like, well, that's, that's your chance. show. Yeah. yeah. But you know what? That's your opinion on it. My yeah. opinion is, yeah, it was great to get into an audition room and do a monologue for um, two minutes, if that or a scene if you're lucky with somebody, but then you would get into your car and go and do nothing and then you would work at night and I didn't like it. So I, you know, I did that for a while and then I was like, you know what? I got to a point maybe like three years ago. So I did that for probably like two years. I lived it with my parents, like after college did that whole thing in LA. And then I was like, and Maybe you were, I assume mostly auditioning for like TV and film yeah, at that point. Yeah, which I also have come to realize that is, I definitely, I mean, growing up in New York, I grew up going to the theater. Yeah. I always envisioned myself on stage. Yeah. And that wasn't what LA was like. So it was, you know, it's a totally different like industry and like ballpark to be doing TV and film. Yes. And I was like, oh, like it's totally different. Like it's, it, you know, so I didn't love that. So then I was like, I remember getting to a point, I was like, okay, I could be doing this serving and hosting every day, or not even every day, three times a week, or maybe I should try and like, I'm, I met, I had a friend who was doing like social media marketing, <laughs> of course, in LA, sure. and she was like, also somebody who did like acting and hosting in college, and she was like, I remember her saying to me, well, why don't you just try and get like a marketing job, and I was like, maybe I should try out what it would be like to have a nine-to-five job, like, for fun. I was living with my parents. I was, like, I need to, like, get out and find. So I somehow got a job being a real estate market and a real – for a boutique real estate marketing – a real estate brokerage in L.A., and I was doing their social media. The Oppenheim group. I wish. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, now I wish. Yeah. I remember them, though. So it's just so weird now to see, like, real estate is such a, like, it's a totally different thing now. But it was, it was weird. But I was going in, and I was having a 9-to-5 job. And for me, I've definitely come to realize, and this is the after in me, is I love a role. Yeah. It was a role for me. Yeah. It was a role to, you know, get out of the, you know, get an apartment with my friends and, like, be driving to work every day and having a nine to five job, going out for happy hour, going out and like going, just living a very different life than what I was doing. And I was like, oh, this is fun. I did that for a while. And then once I was in it, I was like, oh, there's not many people who were purely doing real estate marketing. So if I wanted a better job, they were like, oh, your resume is great. So I did that for a few years. And there was a point after it, probably right up to the pandemic, right when the pandemic happened, which made me realize like, what am I doing? This yeah. is not me. Yeah. I'm doing real estate marketing and I'm living in LA. <laughs> Who am I? <laughs> like, Only on this podcast would that sound like hell. It, but, the, you know, there were, like, I learned so much and I got to be creative in ways that I didn't get to before, you know? Like, I always try to find the positive in things and it, it got me into a different world. I learned more things about myself, but... Like I said, the pandemic happened. As you know, I got COVID, and I, it was bad. And Molly I had and terrible COVID. It was for very, those listening at yeah. the very beginning of everything. right when it was like, and you were in the hospital for yeah, like several it was, weeks. It was horrible, and I just kind of realized afterwards. And I remember being in my room. I couldn't see anybody, and I just remember I was just starting to like. I picked up my favorite plays again. I was reading things like that. Chekhov is my favorite my favorite playwright. I was reading Chekhov. I remember reading like Three Sisters in my bed and just being like, this is what made me happy. Okay, I didn't enjoy after college the auditioning, but there's something, it doesn't have to just be that if I want to be in the arts. Mm -hmm. Like it doesn't have to be, oh, I'm auditioning and I'm going to be an actor. Like I have a passion for the arts my dad is a photographer, like, so I grew up going to museums my entire life. I grew up in the dark, in the dark room that he made in our kitchen in our apartment. So those were the things I started thinking about, and I was like, this is what's so important to me. How did I get here? And that's when I realized, I was like, I need to get back home to New York, because that's where I belong. You know, L.A., 
I learned a lot. It did. It was not. I and I'm not afraid to say it was not the best five years of my life. Like I look back on it and I'm like, I don't know who I was. I don't know. Ma- <laughs> I don't know many people who would describe. <laughs> 22 to 26 yeah. or whatever that yeah. was 22 to 27 yeah. as the best five years of I know lives. but you know so. what though it's I know but that's what makes you and I like there's I mean like I always say like I always this is some this I always like to say there's two different types of girls in the world there's the Taylor Swift girls and there's the Kim Kardashian girls which I think is completely accurate like argue me on that but and we are definitely the Taylor Swift girls. I think that's very, <laughs> very accurate. accurate. We've already, as I knew we would, you know, gone way out of Sorry. order. But one thing I want to ask you, even yes. though we've now sort of have an overview of your life, I ask all my guests this. Did you have a light bulb moment or an aha moment that you can remember when you were young? When you saw a piece of theater or something and said, this is for me, this is what I want to do. Yeah, it was when I, my mom, for, I first watched the movie Funny Girl. Mm. That was a moment. So good. That was... I remember watching that. I remember the first time How watching... How old were you? I might have been, like, six. Yeah. Like, yeah. young. Yeah. Like, my mom is probably going to be like, no, that's not the right age. <laughs> but I'm like... Because she's going to be listening. But, yeah, I remember watching it. I, I just knew it was her favorite. I knew my her mother, my grandmother, who I never got to meet, but weirdly has been, like, such a big presence in my life, even though I never met my mom's mom also loved it like was the favorite movie and I just remember watching it just being like one Barbara Streisand is gorgeous beyond belief beyond but she's also us yes which that is the thing like you know I love the the aspect of acting that you know you get to play a role that's not like you or but what made me fall in love and want to do acting are the roles that I'm like I see myself in that. Yeah. And not a lot of people, like, agree. some people are like, oh, well, you want to be an actor because you want to play something completely different than you. And yeah, that's fun. Like, it was fun to do Lady Macbeth in college. You know, like, those are yeah, some yeah. But it was finding myself in roles. It was watching Funny Girl and being like, that's a Jewish girl from New York City who just wants to be on stage and wants to be an actress because that's what she loves. And I just remember being like, that, that's it. Speaking of being a Jewish girl, mm-hmm. you you went to AMDA, yes. which ends in L.A., and then yes. you were in L.A. doing TV and film. Yeah. Did you, was there, were you going to auditions and feeling just, like, totally an odd duck in the room of a sea of, like, blonde, waspy girls? What yeah. was the vibe? Yeah, well, it's a totally different scene. Like, it was also very different, the people who were in L.A., obviously. Like, it's a very different, but... There were a lot of times where, but I didn't go to roles that I wasn't like, oh, it's right, for me. Right. Of but course, of, it was. It was good more for like you. good for me. But of course, it was like. It wasn't comfortable. Yeah. There, it wasn't like being here, where it's like the most diverse place in the city. In the in the I mean yeah. in the world, this yeah. is the most diverse city. So being in LA, it was very like, oh, I mean. And being, there's obviously a huge Jewish community in in LA, but it's very different. Yes. It's very different. Yeah. So it was like, okay, I don't have blonde hair and I'm not like, you know, dressing a certain way to like, right. you know, it was, and I was used to like, oh, you wear like a cute dress to go on an audition and girls were wearing like, you know, the shortest little, were I they? Felt, yeah, it was very obvious that it was like, that's how you're going to get the attention. That wasn't my thing. Cause I always felt like with theater, with auditioning, it was more about you wear black. And you like yeah. it's about what Your you're saying. Your what face. You're saying. And not it wasn't like that in LA. It was like, do you have the look? And yeah, I probably had looks certain looks for things, but other than that, I was like, I'm not gonna go out of my way to be like that. Did you like Amda? <laughs> yeah. It was it was No, good. let's be honest. No, you know, if you liked it, that's great. <laughs> I know you can tell right. I it it may ended up where I was supposed to be now at NYU grad school. No, I loved that at AMDA, which was perfect for me, was that I didn't have to take any math or science classes. All I did was acting. All I did was acting all day long, which was the best thing for me. But I didn't have a normal college experience. Yeah. And that, and I'm realizing now, like, hearing from you, like, what your college experience was like, hearing from like my boyfriend what his college experience was like it makes me kind of sad I think I would have 
thrived in that environment now when I think about it. I'm Do like, you feel like you didn't thrive in the conservatory environment? I did. No, I, I did. I definitely, like, it was definitely the right, it was definitely the right thing for me. But I think it would have been fun to have that, like, going to football games. I'm happy with the training? Like, when you, when you graduated, were you, did you yes. feel prepared when you Completely. were going on the, the The best thing of AMDA was my teachers. I had the most amazing teachers. I mean, of course, like, you have some teachers that you don't vibe with. And I, of course, had some of those. But I had, like, two teachers who were so supportive of me and watched me grow over those four years that I I remember, like, I recently was talking about this in a class. I might have even said this to you. Was I was in one of my mu- education and museum classes at NYU last semester, and we were talking about what's the best experience you've had from a teacher, like where you felt like oh, you, you learned. Oh, you were telling me about this. And I yeah. remember I had a teacher my first semester of AMDA, and you know, you're going in your first semester of a conservatory style, so like you're, they te- they're te- telling you everything you're doing wrong, which yeah. is good. So, you know, I had him, then I had him my next semester, and I didn't have the same teacher. Yeah. Then I had him a third semester, and I remember I got on stage, and I was doing a scene that he like had assigned us, this was the first time, that he had seen me and we finished the scene and he was like he said Molly I cannot believe how much you've grown as an actor in just two semesters I literally wanted to cry because it wasn't he didn't go into detail it wasn't the longest thing but he saw my growth and I was like wow if I grew in two semesters I can't imagine what I'm going to grow in four years did you read that article that Jesse Green wrote in the times recently about acting education and the method of yes. other teachers. Yes. Did you feel that there was a lot of, like, we need to break you down in order to build you up? Yes, I... Yes, AMDA, and I, you yes, it? <laughs> yes, no, but I think... I don't know if I ever told you this. This was another thing that I thought was probably one of the most... Pro- when I look back on this, was one of the most problematic and horrific things that a teacher could do at a conservatory. I don't know if I ever told you this was I had an improv class. This was in LA at AMDA and I had an improv class where the teacher said, okay, what we're going to do today is everyone's going to sit in chairs on one side of the room and then I'm going to put chairs on the other side. And each one of you is going to get up in the middle of the room and you're going to start talking and you got to you have to talk about something that's traumatic and you need to talk about something that you know also is going to entertain people and it has to be true and i remember thinking oh my god this is horrifying what and people just got up and started doing it and oh but the the whole point was for the people who are sitting in the chairs who are watching once you're bored of that person's story you, you have move to, to you move to the other side yeah. so he's telling people that they need to talk about traumatic moments in their life but it can't be boring. And I remember talking like with some friends, what are we gonna do? And people like got up and of course, you know, in conservatory style, of course it's clicky. So there are groups of friends who like each other and there are people who really hate you. So it was very much like, oh, like- Did you find it clicky? Beyond clicky. And in that moment, it was very clicky. I remember getting up there and it was horrific and gut-wrenching that you're spilling your guts, and yeah, I'm not making it entertain. I'm trying to make it entertaining, but how do you make it entertaining? People are getting up, being like, I don't want to listen to you anymore. That's so wild. And I just, and so when I read that article, I was like, things like that, I feel like if people did deep dives into what we do in, call, in conservatory, it would be canceled and horrific. I have a number of <laughs> friends who have similar stories from sure. Carnegie Mellon, from Juilliard, I'm from sure. various places, and... As with anything, there should be nuance, right? Yes. Like, a professor should be able to tell you when your habits are bad yes. or if a scene wasn't compelling or whatever it is. But I do feel like we're finally being awakened to the fact that teachers shouldn't be able to exploit, as you say, yes. personal stories. Right. I've been in so many acting classes where the teacher has been like, okay, now tell this class about this, like, horrible thing that happened yeah. to you in front of everyone. It's like, it's this, take me back to first the decision that you mentioned earlier about going into marketing and wanting to have a 9-to-5 job and whether that felt like... Because I think I imagine a lot of my listeners either still work in theater or are young and want to work in theater, but some may just like theater and work in other areas. Right. 
So I want to talk about that that decision you made, and then I want to talk more too about this decision to sort of come full circle and end up at NYU studying what yeah. we're studying. I think, like I said, it was I never had had a nine to five job before. Yeah. But I didn't think at the time, oh, I could do a nine to five job, but it could be in the arts. It didn't even cross my mind. I was like, oh. I don't think it crosses a lot of people's minds. It doesn't cross a lot of people's minds. Like, so I was like, oh, what is it like to work at a job all day like my parents did? And have, but like, my, you your know, evening to, like, yes, cook or yeah, something like which that. Which is so weird, though, that I didn't think that because, like I said, my father's a photographer, so he always didn't have, like, a normal day. His days were different being an artist. But then sometimes he worked in advertising, and he had a nine-to-five right. nine like my mom did. So it's, like, it's weird that I never thought, oh, I'm looking for some... I feel like I need to have something more stable than yeah. being a hostess and a server. So I never thought, oh, I should look. But I also was in L.A., and I was like... When uh, you saw La La Land, did it really, like, hit home for you? <laughs> or did yeah. you not like it? <laughs> I have so many thoughts on La La Land. Hence, it's never I'll come up Jerry Saltz. before. Have you seen Jerry Saltz's post about La La Land? It's, no. like, infamous. Oh, I'll show you later. He despised it. <laughs> I loved it. Okay, so I... No. I... Loved it when it came out, and you know how I am about musicals. What are you about to talk about? And so, I, but I loved it. Loved the music. Loved, I mean, it's Ryan Gosling. How do you not? And so I, I felt very, very connected to it where I'm like, I feel like I'm exactly her, and here I am living in L.A. And, but it made me feel bad because I felt like, oh, I gave up. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, I think the phrase that's the give up is such a dirty word Horrible. among artists. Yeah. And any artist that is like, oh, I, I took a job or I'm going to grad school or whatever it is, I think there's a fear, and maybe it's a reality, I'm not sure, that the other artists in their community are going to say, oh, she gave up. Totally. Oh, she sold out. Yes. Whatever it is. Did you have insecurities about that? Beyond, you... I probably still do. I still do, so but do in I. the back of my mind, it's the same with where, I, where we're talking about with soccer. My feeling is like, who knows? Uh, who says that I'm not going to be uh, in totally. a play on Broadway? I be- I'm, uh, you and I have said this before, we, and I have no issue saying it, is that I know I'm a confident girl. I was I have no issue with saying that be, yeah. because my mom raised me like that. Yeah. So I have no issue with saying like I don't know maybe one day I will go but like maybe I will audition and be in a play. But I feel like you gotta have the confidence for it. You have to have confidence going into any situation in your life. What did you feel was missing from your life when you were auditioning and as you said hostessing and serving? Like I said, I felt like it was it was jarring to go from being in a conservatory for four years totally in the arts Mm -hmm. doing that doing acting doing dance all day like doing things like just being in that and loving it like I said like now I look back and I'm like oh maybe I wish I had a different college experience but I was so happy in those classes and learning and doing it I was like I'm at I'm an actor I'm acting every day yeah so going out of that it was like I felt like that's what's missing like you know, if you don't get the role, like, you're not going to be in something. You're not going to be in a movie or TV show. You're not going to be in a place. So, you know, it was a lot of, I'm not doing what I thought I would be doing. Yeah. And like I said, I know, like, there. And the, here's the insecurities coming out. Oh, I know people, you know, you got to have the perseverance and you got to keep doing it and push it. And yeah, but you know what? I don't think there's anything wrong in saying maybe that, yeah, maybe if I kept doing it in L.A., who knows what would have happened. But I can't look, think that. I can't go back and regret that. But you know what? There's different things where my life could be. And like I said, I'm, I've never been happier in my life than I am now. Truly am not. So it's like, okay, things happen for a reason and I'm not going to dwell. And I think you and I have also talked about, like, also as you get older, like, I think you start to realize the things in life that truly, truly make you happy. I think I always thought, like, the most important thing is to be an actress and to be a famous actress. I want to get the best roles. I want to be the young ingenue. I want to get every role Jennifer Lawrence is getting. Like, <laughs> I remember thinking that in LA. But now getting older, I'm like, the things I look back on that make me the most happy is like my childhood and my parents and like fr- family and friends. Those are the things I really, really want in life is just those memories, you know? And I feel like auditioning it was years of just not doing anything except that yeah yeah I also appreciate what you said about like oh life is long you never know I I don't want to be defined by any one thing I remember when I had my friend Chris Murphy on the show who you know 
he was a year ahead of me in school and wanted to be an actor and started as an actor in the city and now like writes for Vanity right. Fair and is super successful at it and super funny and does stand up and stuff. And when he was on, he was like, I fully believe I'm still going to be an actor on yeah, Broadway. That's <laughs> and he was like, and I think I'm going to get there faster and in a better way for me yeah. by doing these other things that are true to myself than by being in horrible commercials and whatever it is. Exactly. That's the exact sentiment I feel. Why arts administration, like, brought you to that decision? Well, like I said, I just, I knew, okay, I have to get back to New York. I have to, so I knew, like, okay, I'm going to go to grad school. I'm going to only apply to grad schools in New York. And then I was just thinking, Why grad school in the first place? Because I knew, okay, I have a BFA, but I just started thinking, like, I also, like I said, realized during the pandemic, I want to have, I want to go to back to school and I want to be able to have, do classes that I didn't get to do in undergrad. You wanted to be intellectually stimulated. Those are the things I love. When I look back on like college classes, even at AMDA, like, of course I loved the scene study classes and I loved the acting classes, but I also loved the classes where, you know, the art English classes were like playwriting in the sixties. Like, but I love those classes because I got to talk. Yeah. And not be a character. <laughs> I got to talk and be Molly in my opinion and debate. And you know how much I love to debate. And, I, like, I couldn't, I try, would try to make anything about political or what's going on. So I was, like, thinking, I remember thinking at and home. May I just say, you are one of the few people I know who reads the New York Times Thank hard you. copy cover to cover every day. Thank you. <laughs> my father has done that my entire life. So has my mom. <laughs> I can't forget her. And it's, I think it's beyond important to do that. Completely. Or even on your phone. Just read the New York Times. Yes. <laughs> like, you yes. have to. Yes. So it was always, so that, that's why I was like, I want to go back and, like, be in classes. I yeah. didn't get to do that. I want to be in classes, so that's why. And then I just, it really was, like, thinking, okay, what could I get my master's in? Okay, master's in arts. I knew, like I said, I want to find a job that's stable that's in the arts. I feel like it was fate. It was like, okay. And it wasn't fate, I found it. But, you know, it was, like, and I just remember, like, being so, and I just, like, of course, I was nervous, and I'm, like, oh, my God, like, what if this doesn't work out? What if I don't, it I don't get in? What if I don't get back to New York, and I'm in L.A., but it worked out? Yeah, it did. <laughs> well, uh, but also, like, it's, as you say, not a matter of fate, because you, you, to work hard. you took it into your own I hands. I need to work and, hard and do it. Exactly. <laughs> you know? How... My question for you now that you've had a year of that school, A, what what are some personal goals upcoming for you? Like, where do you see yourself in a couple years post-graduation? And then also, I think, zooming out, do you have goals for the arts industry now that you're looking into leadership positions? Yeah, so, you know, like, I obviously love the theater, and that is what I love. But I've also really learned in this first year how much I love museums. Yeah, that is like your thing which now. Which is so, which you know. Which is so interesting. Yeah. And, and it's, it's your dad It's my out. dad. It's definitely like my dad. Like I said, like, I mean, the best, and that, I remember writing this in my essays for grad school. Like, my, some of my best memories with my father is like him taking me to the museums in the city. Like, the Guggenheim, the Met, and like. Yeah, I, I'm sure he would say, like, I probably didn't appreciate it that much as a kid. I loved it. But looking back and thinking, like, that made such an imprint on me. And I think it was, though, not until up until I took that last that class last semester where I took the education and museum class where I'm like, I could see myself working in a museum. I love the idea of developing, like, a public program at a museum. Thinking about how museums, t- especially in New York City, how important they are to the community you know, they take so much, like, I grew up going to the Queens Museum. Like, that is a museum that you cares so much about the community and, like, the community putting on shows that ha- represent New York. So that's definitely something I see myself in. But, I, like I said, I'm also the type of person where, like, I don't say no to a lot of things, yeah. like, opportunities. So, like, I could feel differently in three months. And I, I just know that it will obviously be something in the arts, but... It definitely, I would want a museum. What's special to you about, I mean, you sort of said yeah. this, but what's special to you about museum culture in the United States particularly? Because I'm sure yes. you studied in your museum class. Like, it's funny, my friend was in London for the greater half of this past year. Yeah. And one of her first days there, she went to the Tate. And she was like, 
you know, the museums oh. in, in the UK are funded by the government, which is yep. great, but the walls are, like, dirty. Yes. Which is a, obviously a huge discrepancy yeah. between the United States system, where they're privately funded largely, unless it's, like, the National Gallery, whatever it is, but they're, because of that, they're beautiful and spotless. Of course. Yeah, and it's funny, though, because, though, and luckily I've had the opportunity to go to museums in, like, in Europe, and, I mean, I love like museums in Europe like I really do like I remember going to the Louvre and like seeing everything there and being blown away because I also love like I love the history of like countries like you and I like love that where the U.S. has a very much different type of history and it's not (laughs) you know but like Europe has such a specific like one that it's like I find those buildings to be beautiful yeah and like that's why the Met is why do people love the Met yes. so much? It's because it's a gorgeous building. Like, yes. It's beautiful and it's kept so nice. But I think that, like, what's so, especially about New York, is how distinct all the museums are. Like, mm. how amazing is the Guggenheim? Like, Incredible. And people don't think to go there that much. Like, well, you know, it has a teeny collection. Exactly, yeah. yeah. But it's one of those places, like, where my dad would take me all the time and it's like, it's amazing what you can find there. I also find going to museum, especially now older, it has the same experience to me as going running. And it's like, not everybody loves to go running. People are like, it's not for me. My, my parents have always been runners. And they were like, they were always telling me, you got to get into running. It's the best thing for you mentally. It's the best thing for you to do. And I just was like, I remember being like, I'm going to stick to it. And I'm just going to keep running. And I fell in love with it. And it's the same with a museum to me where it's like, you walk around and you don't think about anything else. You just kind of like this where you're running, like, okay, you're listening to music, but I try to let my head be clear. And it's the same way with the museum where like you get to like go in and look, one of my favorite things that we did talk about this in our museum class was the types of people that come to museums and how do we get them to come in. And obviously the biggest goal is first time visitors or people who are, you know, who typically wouldn't go. I think I told you like, I recently brought like my boyfriend to the museum and I had so much fun watching his experience in the museum like we went because I had a pro- was I had it his to do first his time at a museum no it wasn't his first <laughs> time at a museum <laughs> but I th- like he's been there before but like you know well, he's not he would say art, he's like, not a typical museum goer probably right, right. and what and you know I like I said I we went I made him go because I had an assignment for class but I in the back of my mind is that if he's listening this is the first time he's hearing this is part of the assignment of my other assignment was to have you're supposed to experience someone's first time like a, a first like I said he's right, not a first time right. visitor but someone who wouldn't likely go so I watched him a lot of the time and it's so interesting where if you go in and you have an open mind the conversations you'll have about art and things are like something that you just people typically wouldn't get to it's this it, you could apply it to theater yeah I was gonna going say, to a do play you think, for the first time do you think that that's true of the performing arts yes completely I think people definitely go in with like an attitude maybe like who are like oh I'm not really like you know I mean probably me with a musical I would go in and be like you know let me my guard okay, let's talk about that because <laughs> we I don't want to be hated on this shit you will be <laughs> No. No, but okay. I mean... All right, let's do this in a nice way. Favorite, talk about your favorite... Like, what, what is compelling to you about okay. drama and your favorite pieces of drama? Okay. Honestly, probably from a young age, I was not a singer. Yeah. I'm not a great singer. So you don't like musicals because you're not good at that. That's how it started, probably at a young age. I remember auditioning in... Okay, I, you know, I remember in, like, middle school... We did, pl- like, we did, pl- you do plays when you're in elementary school. Right. And I was always, like, you know, beyond excited. I remember getting, like, the starring role in my third grade play. Like, being, like, this was what I was born to do. Well, we also should <laughs> say for the listeners, we're both only children. Exactly, yeah. So, this makes sense. It was, like, it made sense. It was a big deal at home, I'm sure, as you know, to get the. So, I remember getting to middle school, and it was, like, oh, they're doing Aladdin. And I remember being, like, I was born to be Jasmine. Like, that's my role. And I remember, like, being like, okay, I killed it. I remember killing it at the, reading the script. I killed it at the dance part. But then when the singing part came, I was like, okay, I have to sing A Whole New World. And I did it, and I was probably, like, thinking, yeah, I don't know, like, how great that was. I didn't get it. And that, that I will be, that's why I'm being very honest. It started, so I was like, 
musicals are not for it didn't make me happy yeah I was so upset well you didn't it's associate not it with joy. I didn't associate it with joy but then I was like well you know and in high school you know you, they have the plays but they also have the musicals and of course there was one person who got the musicals you know it wasn't me and I was like, oh, I'm going to go out for the Shakespeare ones, the Shakespeare plays that we're doing, and that's what I thrived in. I just, I'm enthralled by dialogue, the dialogue sections. Those are my favorite parts in a musical. <laughs> those are my favorite parts. It, it depends, though. Like, Funny Girl, I, those, those are songs to me that are, like, ingrained in my body and my soul. Like, they mean so much. I think for musicals, for me, it has to be where I can relate to it. Like, the, the last five years, how random is it that I love that musical? And it's because you could relate to a breakup. <laughs> Those songs I will listen to. Just hard for me to let's go to the music man I think and have you're fun. Less exposed to it. I think you're less exposed to it. I think if you had been exposed, if you had been listening to Guys and Dolls and the Music Man and <laughs> and Carousel from the time you were I love the three. sound of music. <laughs> exactly. The sound that's of music. Exactly but you know why? It's but that's because my mom, my parents made me watch it when I was that's little, and I was like, saying. but like that to me, I was like, oh, like. I could, like, uh, like... But uh, one can see oneself in anything. Isn't that sort of... I can't see myself in the job? music, man. Yes, you can. Who am I in the music? Zanita, obviously. You're obviously <laughs> Zanita, so you don't know it very well. Yeah. I think I just... It's this... I know. I'm I want to so bring you back hated. to the Thank question. You. Okay. you won't be hated. Don't worry. Don't worry. You know the what? I have an appreciation and I will go see it. Totally. It's just I would rather go see Macbeth on Broadway. I would rather go see. I have such a love for sh anything Shakespeare. Anything like check Like that's what I. Well, we're going to get back to that in my thank you five section. But before that, I want to bring you back to the sort of zoomed out question I have for you, which is. You talked a bit about your personal goals. What do you think the arts industry should be working on as you start thinking about leadership opportunities in the future? So I definitely think that inclusion, getting more people who wouldn't necessarily be interested in the arts to the arts. Yeah. Like, bringing people into the theater who typically wouldn't go. Like, how do we get people who, you know, wouldn't typically go to a museum? And as a marketer, what's yes. the answer to that? It's <laughs> a difficult question. It's a tough question. It's very tough. But you know what? The Met has one of the best Instagrams and social media accounts. Really? And they do incredible marketing work where, like, they did something recently where we talked about it in our class. I actually had brought it up because we had talked about what it was like our first time when we watched somebody's experience. Yeah. And I said, oh, I went on a date to the museum. The Met, I kid you not, a month later was doing a whole marketing and social media events about how on Fridays they do date nights at the Met. And I, I thought- I think I saw yeah, that. It's I so smart. That's the most genius idea to me. Like, let's get people in like that. Like, you know, maybe that, maybe that person you bring on a date will like somehow find something in a painting or you will spark a conversation and then make them think like oh you know what we went to the Met why don't we go to the Guggenheim totally you know why don't we do something different why don't we go to the Whitney this weekend and do something like maybe they're gonna look at the events that are going on and I think that could be applied the same way like let's make it social especially with the pandemic making everything so unsocial like how about doing things like that you know well yeah I mean I think it, you bring up an interesting point because I feel like so many people's answer to that question would be like streaming digital yeah and I obviously like of yeah. course they need to be exploring that but especially with performing art it's and I think it's true of visual arts yeah. too it's about being in the room completely. with the people completely and I feel like we as an industry have sort of forgotten that in the pandemic oh even doing this show in person for yeah. the first time in months and months and months, like, the magic is being in the room with the audience. Yes. It's not staring no. at your computer screen. You know what it also is? It's also getting dinner before. Completely. Going out, like... Getting a drink after. Going a drink after. Do you know it. some of the, like, most... Of course, it's the, the plays that I saw, but it was also getting dinner with my mom before the show. Totally. Talking. And then afterwards, taking the subway home and talking about what we saw. You don't do that if it's digital. It's no. not the same experience. The arts is all about community, and but it's also about like humanity and talking about things and make trying to make things better and open our minds to things. And so, you know, art trickles down. So, like I said, seeing the theater 
seeing a certain play or musical will provoke something in one person in the audience and that might give them the idea to go do something like who knows where that's going to lead them to do like just seeing that so it's like th that person could be inspired by something as you say it's an amazing thing about living in a city yes because art can become a part of people's daily lives yes. in a way that it can't really outside of it and it can be part of your daily lives in a cheap way yes and that's something i have a problem with about broadway oh completely which is like who's who's buying music man tickets oh. for six hundred dollars it's unattainable which it's, which is the worst thing whereas the met I know it's no longer free, but yes. suggested donation. Yes. Pretty much anyone anyone can can yes. go in and enjoy. Yeah. And obviously that's entirely different financial situations, yes. but I think you're really hitting on something important. Yes. I've never understood why it's so hard to get a ticket to a show. Aren't they well, making it for us? Something else I want to bring up in this discussion. So for those who aren't familiar, before I even like was friendly with Molly, she was sort of legendary in our class because people were like, why does she have like 84,000 followers on Instagram or something like that? I love that. just how learning this recently from you, how I was like talked about. I mean, I loved it. <laughs> and I then became friends with you and discovered that it was because you had this Instagram account with your friend yeah. about Juicy Couture. Am oh I getting God. that correct? Yeah, I'm so happy you're bringing this up. Well, actually. but I think it's interesting because, and, and also I should say that we say this as a joke, but it's not entirely untrue, which is that you have a lot of similarities to some very trendy personae right now, like <laughs> Julia Fox. No, but I'm getting to my point, yeah. which is to say that, what like, you of all people, you have this, like, New York girl thing in you. You come from a marketing background. Clearly, you're able to make things viral, because I want to hear about the Juicy Couture yeah. thing. But we need people like you in... The yeah. theater and in the arts because how can we make it cool again yeah how can we make it like it was blowing my mind i follow all these like dime square girlies yeah. on instagram and they're all like obsessed with the tribeca film festival which is going on oh. right now which is great but the tony awards were last night yeah and i was like why isn't there the same it's i know cool factor it girl factor surrounding theater as there is around film i just don't get it well yeah, no, I mean, you're completely right. I will say the first thing that I think of is because I did, well, I, I watched the Tonys. It's definitely older. Yeah. There's not, yeah, there's the Darren Criss and Leah Michelle and Julian. But even Hunt. then, I like. That's what I'm saying. Like, that's not, you know, when I watched that, I was like, I remember, like, thinking last night, this is such an old crowd. I love Which is crazy because you're crazy. not even there. It's crazy, like, yeah. How but you, you know what? That probably goes back to what is being put on. The theater and performing arts needs to needs to be handed to younger people. Yeah. Of course, like <laughs> keep. Ha of course, we need uh, people who have been working in it for years and like those actors and stuff and people who are behind the scenes. But I think it needs to be like, let's put on some shows like 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 POTUS is such a like why yeah. is that a pop? That's amazing because it's all females. It has to do with politics, which young people are into right now. Yeah. Like, we let's haven't embrace really seen, that. like, the Gen Zification no. of theater yet. No, That's how maybe we can get, you know, it to be viral or get, you know. Tell me about oh, the Juicy Couture. Couture thing. Okay, so when I was living in L.A., this was probably, actually, when I look back on it, a feeling of, like, the friend who I was friends with then, not anymore. Well, but was yeah. it sort of a call-her-daddy situation? Can I be completely honest thinking about it it probably is. it actually yeah. really is well, well we'll offline about well that. oh completely who am i in that situation though is the truth I, clearly, I honestly don't know enough about that oh, situation i will say. say because there's one who's more famous so i'm clearly her <laughs> i'm <laughs> okay. clearly alexander cooper okay so okay so it was a we were both went to amda probably both we were both similar moments in our life of like we're not doing anything creative like what should we do and i we just bonded about like pop culture and I just remember we literally were like one day like oh my god like I miss Juicy Couture like we were just bonding over Juicy Couture and I remember I was like I got rid of all my Juicy Couture and I was like why did I get rid of it so we were like why don't we just go around to Goodwill and see if they have Juicy Couture we drove around for like months to every, I went to every Goodwill in LA I kid you not 
and we bought the Juicy Couture. And now, because Juicy Couture is so popular again, I'm telling you, we bought Juicy Couture for like $5 at Goodwill. Wow. And then we were like, let's take pictures of ourselves in it, which is why we got so many followers at first. And we were like, how are we doing this? I remember we got like 10,000 followers. And then we were like, why don't we just start filming videos? And we started filming videos. What were the videos? Beyond Ridiculous, it was us just walking around in LA and Juicy Couture, putting music on in the background. And then we started like, let's have a guy on every video. Like, let's have a guy. So we started inviting our friends and people and we'd be like, let's just film us walking around. We would walk around, like I remember we went up to Runyon and just were in our Juicy Couture. And then we were like, maybe we should start talking. Like, I remember the process. We were like, let's just talk about stuff. And we started talking in the videos and we would interview the guys. Be like, what do you think of Juicy Couture? They were like, huh? And it was funny. And it was like, they were like, oh. Well, you like, have a great, like, persona. Yeah. Like, you yourself are sort of a character. Thank you. Yeah. And I can talk, yeah. <laughs> obviously. Clearly. And I can talk to anybody. <laughs> so is the quality I love about I, you. Thank you. Because that's something I always wanted to be was the person who can talk. My well, dad can talk to anybody. you need a talk show, I think. <sighs> I know. You do. I know. Trust me, I know. It's, but, yeah. And then we did a podcast. And then what was we, the podcast? Born NY Made LA. Wow. That's what the Instagram used to be. Uh, so these are the people who follow me. And then and there was a falling who, out. Yeah. Okay. We made videos. It was hysterical. Who got the Juicy Couture? Oh, me. You I got it all. everything. You I was smart. And I took that Instagram and I changed the password. And I was like, rem- and we just had a falling out, whatever. And then I was like, I didn't use it. Cause, and I never had a personal Instagram. Because I was, you know, I'm, I really was never that You're girl. I don't care. Yeah. Oh, like, what's her name? Like, Maddie from Euphoria. Alexa Demi. Like you oh said, yeah, I will rarely I post. I will rarely post. And then maybe two years ago, I was like, I'm gonna just change this account to mine and have eighty thousand followers. I so now that. I do. I mean, I've lost it because I'm not posting hot girl stuff <laughs> anymore. But I don't care now. So I'm like, okay, I know. But it is funny because every time I meet people, when I have met my boyfriend's friends, they all be like, wait. <laughs> What's going on with your girlfriend? Well, I just think... <laughs> She's got clout. And I'm like, not really, but... I just think it's interesting, like... I'm using this as a compliment because I think, like, with your unique, slightly Gen Z marketing brain, <laughs> yeah. you could make the arts cool again. Oh, my God. Katie. So let's see if that happens. Um, that... I want to end, as I always end, with my thank you five segment. Okay. Asking you five rapid-fire questions oh having God. to do with... The arts and your life and yeah. the arts and us. So first, Ooh, I don't know if I get them. favorite playwright. Chekhov. Favorite Chekhov play. Three Sisters. Why? I had a one of the teachers that truly made an impact on my life, Daniel Blinkoff. I had him and we he decided he just decided to do Chekhov for us. He, we weren't supposed to do it and he was like, we're going to study Chekhov this yeah. semester. And we just read Three Sisters he he had us buy the book like with it was like all of Chekhov's like plays in it and I just read it and I remember reading Three Sisters and just being like moved moved by it I I I still can't it's I can't explain it I'll just pick it up sometimes and read it it just like it hit me like I mean but anything the seagull I love like I just think it's like I think like, that is one of the things about theater. Sorry, I know this is the rapid fire and I'm talking, but no, I that's one of the all. things, like, why don't we try to make Chekhov, but make it more relevant and make it young? You know what I'm saying? Like, because it is, those things are the same topics that they're talking about on Euphoria. And Gossip Girl. And Gossip You know yeah. what I'm saying? Like, those are the things. No one's doing Chekhov. Why? It's great. It's great work. Yeah. Like, people will find issues with anything. Let's take, though, those things and, like, because there's so much meaning in it. So, yeah, sorry. No, that's Keep totally going. fine. Question number three, your favorite museum in New York? Oh, that's really, really tough. I I hate to be basic. The Met. No, I love it. But, you know, it is a basic. It's iconic. It's so iconic. That's why you have to... Yeah. And, as you said, there, no one is doing it in terms of, like, marketing and... No one's doing it like them. L- like them. And it's an experience. It, it's, it's an experience. It's a full experience. It's a full experience. Secondly... <laughs> Favorite Juicy Couture piece you own? Oh, I have a pink. My I, that I have found was full pink, zip up, like baby pink, and it says Juicy. Love it. And the irony that I have to share because I'm sure if my parents are listening, they'll be rolling their eyes. Is that <laughs> oh, this shows how different we are, <laughs> which is why it's amazing that we're friends because 
when I was young and Juicy was popular, I refused to touch any of it. I was like, I'm not that type of girl. Oh I'm like, I'm like intellectual. <laughs> and oh today my God, I'm like, I'd love a Juicy Couture. Oh, well, I have my box of Juicy Couture. I'll give we'll, you some. We'll set it up. Oh. And the last question, I ask like a version of this of everyone. Yeah. You're one of the first arts administrators I've had on the show. I know you're still in school for yeah. it, but what do you see as an arts administrator's essential? It can be like a metaphorical thing or a physical thing, like a notebook or like oh, perseverance. But I think it's just being open to anything. Yeah. Being saying open, yes. Yeah. Saying yes. And also like listening to other people. I think one of the, and that's something that I truly think and I believe, I truly believe that's why you and I are such good friends is because we listen to each other. And I think that's something like in friendships, in work, not a lot of people really are listening to what the other person has to say and being genuinely interested. And that's something I actually, shout out to my dad, learned, I've watched him my entire life. He's the best listener and Mm -hmm. he listens to people and people still will say, oh yeah, like Bob, Bob knows it. Like he asked me all about that. And I've always tried to like really listen to what the other person's saying and not just try to make it about myself. So I think arts administrators truly need to listen to what the community wants, what their coworkers want, their teachers are asking, like being very open and not jumping to like, let's judge that, let's be negative, like try to hear what the other person's saying. I think that's really true because especially with all these like discussions about inclusion yeah. that the arts field is, is rightly having, part of that equation is listening. Yes. And I remember you and I were on a Zoom for a mm. DEI thing together. Yes. And it was just amazing to listen oh to Donna Walker-Kuhn yes. and then some of the international students. Do you remember our breakout room? How amazing yeah, it was? Yeah, it was incredible. I, Shout out to our breakout room. Shout out to room. our breakout room because honestly, that was, I kid you not, probably for me, and I don't know about you, one of the best experiences I've had so far in this program is that breakout room. I probably looked depleted at the beginning, and then we were, like, alive, and we were, like, I mean, the people Shout out to May, friend of the pod who was in that. It was so nice to hear other people's experiences, not even just what we were talking about, but their experiences moving to New York City. Completely. I was, like, changed by that. I realized that... The conversation that our breakout room had yes. is the reason why our department now has those like check-in yes. things. Yes. I thought that was amazing. It was amazing. Shout out to us. Shout out to us. <laughs> we created that. Molly, clearly I could talk to you for hours and hours. And I am going to talk to you for hours and oh hours more because we're getting dinner Yay. later. But is there anything else you want to say? Anything you want to plug? I don't want to plug anything, but I'm going to plug that you should go see Katie's show. <laughs> And I hope you keep, I hope you keep this part in. I love like at the end of like MSNBC, like, you know, shows like Nicole Wallace will be like, have a guest on and clearly they're hitting it off. And she'll be like, you're going to come on again. Or like on The View, Whoopi will always be like, oh, oh you, you also we want you to come back. television than anyone I know. Because I know. you're one of the only people I know who has cable. I have cable. She is I have always DVR. watching MSNBC. But it's my dream to be on a show and for someone to be like, you're going to come back and we're going to talk about that more. Like Whoopi and Nicole Wallace always say that. You're going to come back. Thank you. Although I will say I have yet to repeat a guest. So whenever I'll I do repeat a guest, you'll, you'll be the first. I'm exactly. the obvious first. Thank you, Molly. Thank you, Call Time listeners. It's been a pleasure. I have a really exciting guest, just as exciting as Molly Fagan next week. (laughs) Thank you for listening as always. Thank you for bearing with my absence in the last few weeks. I hope you enjoyed the episode. As always, shoot me a DM, a comment if there's anything you want to see. Follow Molly on Instagram. Add to her followers. I think it's Molly G. Fagan. Molly G. Fagan. There you go. Love it. Um, And uh, thank you so much. Have a good week.